All right, all right. Welcome back to the Monetize Your Mindset podcast. This is where we talk about identifying your ideal side hustle. We look at side hustles that other people have had, side hustles that people are thinking about, and hopefully it's a memory jogger for you to create your ideal side hustle. The past couple of weeks, actually three weeks, we've been doing a little bit of a celebration of the 50th episode of the Monetize Your Mindset podcast. I've been going back and recapping and pulling out the best nuggets out there for you guys. This week, because last week was tax day, oh, the dreaded tax day, because of the coronavirus, we've been we've been able to postpone it for a while. But how many of you got it there just in the nick of time? Well, since it was tax day last week, we are going to talk about TaxBot, which in full disclosure, I am an affiliate for TaxBot, but I love TaxBot. We'll get into my story as we get into the, the episode today. It's such an amazing app to where I can just take a picture of a receipt, throw the receipt away and worries be gone. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to sit down with, with Jake from TaxBot, not Jake from State Farm, Jake from TaxBot. All right, but before we get started, what do we got to do? Hit it. Are you prepared for what happens when what happens happens? Life happens when you least expect it. Create financial security. Monetize what you already know. Welcome to Monetize Your Mindset. Monetize Your Mindset. Identify your ideal side hustle so that you have the resources to deal with whatever happens when what happens happens. It's time to monetize your mindset. Here's your host, Bart Merrill. All right. Okay. So like I mentioned before, we were going to talk about TaxBot today. It's an app that's going to help you not avoid, we can't say avoid an audit, but it can help you get through an audit really quickly. And you'll hear more about that from Jake, not Jake from State Farm. And I'll quit with the Jake from State Farm thing here in a second, but it's Jake from TaxBot. All right, Jake, welcome to the Monetizer Mindset podcast. Welcome and thanks for sharing some of your time today. Hey, I am so happy to be here. Thanks for having me today. Jake, so Monetize Your Mindset is about creating financial security by monetizing those things that you already know or do. Uh, we all have 24 hours in the day. If you have a family and a, a job, you kind of have to you kind of have to do stuff on the side and sometimes the side hustle then turns into your main hustle. And so we try and give people the same experience that I had growing up with my dad here on the podcast. So why don't you take a second here and just introduce the audience to you and what you do and some of your entrepreneurial experience. Yeah, so um, I currently have a couple of things going on, but my, my main gig is running a company called TaxBot. Um, we help entrepreneurs track their expenses and mileage and also make sure they stay out of trouble with the IRS. And we try to help them maximize and save as much money on their taxes as possible. But let me back up a little bit and tell you a little bit about where I come from and how I got here because I love this this concept of, of monetizing your mindset. So I grew up, my father owned a uh, his own business. And so I grew up in a family that owned uh, their own business and it wasn't always pleasant. There was ups and there was downs. I remember a lot of lean years. Yeah. Um, I remember, you know, going with my dad on Christmas day uh, in the middle at like 2 a.m. Christmas day to go plow snow. Um, at his, uh, he owned some gas stations and, um, like at a, a delivery or oil distribution trucks. And so we had to go, you know, plow the, the gas stations and stuff. And, and he also had some car washes anyway. So I, I grew up in that business seeing how hard he worked, but I also grew up seeing like the, 
I guess satisfaction that came from being his own boss. Like we could, he didn't have to ask anybody to go on vacation. He just had to make the arrangements and he was able to do some things and he just, I thought the, he just loved it. And I got to work in the business. I got to, you know, have different jobs managing car washes at some point um, and working in the warehouse. And I kind of got that taste, but so I kind of always knew that like, I wanted to own my own business. I wanted to be like my dad, right? We all do. I wanted to own my own business, but I didn't know what. So I went to college. I graduated in finance, uh, wanted to see how businesses ran. That's kind of why I went finance is I wanted to see like, what do the numbers look like? And got into mergers and acquisitions. And I remember one day I was just trying to learn as much as I could, right? I would go to work and then I would go home and read books on like accounting and stuff because I wanted to be the best at my job. Uh, I wanted to, you know, grow really quickly and figure out what my career was going to be. I, I was doing really good at my job and I had extra time on my, because I would get all my work done, the financial stuff. And then I went to the owner of the business and said, Hey, I would really like to, in my spare time, try to do some sales, get into the sales side of this. Just I'll do it nights and weekends. And then like only if a phone call comes in, you know, during the day or something, I'll take it. I promise you nothing will slip. I was really ambitious. I had a business, almost like a mini, like three page business plan written out of how I would do it, delivered it to my boss. And he said, no way. And I said, what, but won't this make you more money? And he's like, stay in your place, stay in your lane. I was so floored that he would not let me try to help grow the business. It really put a burr in my saddle. Anyway, I tried to do some uh, entrepreneurial things there. I didn't know what I want if I didn't have an idea for a business, so I didn't want to go start one. Um, so I tried to do some entrepreneurial things. I tried to create some innovative ways of repurposing my job. And I got my job down to where I was only doing about, I, I spent about 25% of the time that I was originally required to do my job because I automated some things. Right. You know, I wasn't very smart, but I just figured out how to be lazy on it, I guess. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, and got the same output. Anyway, I left that company because I just felt like there wasn't any opportunity. So I went to another company and met some other guys, my, who are my current partners in TaxBot. We went, it was a startup company. They didn't have the funding they needed to do to continue. So I was only there for about nine months before the company folded. But I had met these two and we had this idea. One of my partners took me to lunch and said, or one, one of these guys took me to lunch and he had a $100 bill. He pulled it out and showed it to me say really successful, but he was an older gentleman. He was probably, oh, he probably would have been 75 at the time. He takes out this hundred dollar bill. He's, you know, worth millions and millions of dollars. And he, he asked me if he could teach me a lesson. I said, sure. He takes that hundred dollar bill. He rips it in half and he puts one half on the table and says, you need to understand something about money. When you make money, the government takes about half of it through all the different taxes and things like that. Income tax, sales tax, cell phone tax, every tax you can think of. Um, and then he said, then he took that the, the remaining 50% of the dollar and ripped it in half. And he said, the other half uh, or the other 25% of your money goes toward debt. And he's like, and then you're left to live with this 25%. If you could take that 50% that you're paying to the government and cut it down, then you can live a much better life and have more money to meet your needs and have a better life if you can figure out how to pay less in taxes. And that is how the wealthy get rich. And so we started talking and, and uh, anyway, long story short, he introduced me to my other now current partner, Sandy Botkin, who's a former IRS attorney. And he totally blew my mind. We started meeting and he showed me that there are two tax systems in this country. 
one for employees and one for business owners and one can make you rich and the other one uh, is a little bit harder to do. <laughs> so, right. mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of how we got started is, is we started then saying, I, I learned that I said, we got to get this out to the masses a little bit more and teach people. Um, Cause I don't think, it, I think a lot of seasoned business owners know this, but I think definitely newer business owners did not know about all of the tax advantages of running your own business, even as a side hustle. My business, right. my business partner says, uh, you'd be brain dead not to have some sort of side hustle or, or home-based business. Right. And I, that's one of my philosophies or beliefs is even if you're a W-2 employee, you need a side hustle. You need yeah. to have a business so that you can take your office space in your house and you can take part of your electricity and part of the stuff that you're already going to be paying anyway yes. and take that as a deduction. And so that's one of my beliefs. We're going to kind of merge into tax bot right now. For those who don't know, TaxBot is is an app, but it's more than an app, and we'll let uh, Jake tell you all about it here in a second. But it gives you an online, a, a cloud source to keep track of all your receipts and stuff. And when I got married, Jake, my wife came in, because I've, I've never had a real job, and I had all these boxes of receipts down in the basement. <laughs> and she said, can I throw these away yet? And I was like, well, is it more than seven years old? And she said, no then you can't throw it away. You got to keep it. And when ta- when I found TaxBot and I was able to keep everything stored on the cloud, those boxes have at least gotten smaller. And <laughs> it's been, for me, it's just easier to keep track of my receipts. That way, I, if I'm going to lunch with, with someone, I take a picture of the receipt when it's over and I throw the receipt in the garbage. And there's more when it comes to the the tracking the mileage for you and all that good stuff. So that's why I like TaxBot so much is it makes my wife happier. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's just, we should take our mission statement to making spouses more happy because they're less uh, cluttered. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Why don't you give us a brief explanation of TaxBot more than what I just gave? Yeah. So here's the thing is most people, when they start their business, they don't really think through the accounting side very, very, uh, very well. Um, sure, there's uh, accounting applications out there, and, and you just don't know what you don't know, right? So first thing, first myth, accounting software does not keep you out of trouble with the IRS. Neither will your bank statements. So most people will track their expenses using a credit card, or and then they'll put together a spreadsheet at the end of the year, or they'll um, get some accounting software, and they'll track their expenses that way, which is great. Accounting software is fantastic. It's great for telling you what your numbers are, whether you're making money or whether you're not making money. But what it doesn't do is meet the IRS regulations for deductions and tracking your deductions. Because the IRS basically, think of the IRS like an investor. If you, they're an investor because they give you these, these amazing tax benefits and there really are some great tax laws for business owners if you know how to use them. But they don't give you a user manual and nobody usually tells you about this. And so a lot of small business owners let tons of these deductions go unused because they don't know. One of the things that we set out to do is we said, we want to make sure, make an expensive mileage tracker that meets the IRS compliance guidelines. And that's kind of where we started. So for example, if you and I, Bart, go to lunch to talk about business, the IRS wants us to have me to have, they want me to record who I met with, what we talked about to justify it as business. And then obviously the other pertinent details, like how much and all those things. Some of that's on the credit card statement. Some of that's in the accounting software, but not all of it. Not who I met with and what we talked about that made it business related. And that's just one example. Mileage is the same thing. There's a lot of mileage trackers out on the market that will automatically track your mileage, but 
they don't, they ask you to just say if it's business or personal, but if you get audited, the IRS is going to, it's the number one audited expense uh, by the IRS, by the way. Uh, they won 88% of audits last year. The IRS did. And the number one audited expense was mileage, mileage logs. And the reason is because they know that most business owners are not doing it right. Because you, if you go somewhere, let's say I'm going to go vi- come, you know, pick you up and we're going to go to lunch, Bart, to talk about uh, your business. I need to write down the address and things like that. But I also need to write down the reason why it's business. So I'm going to meet with Bart to talk about his uh, trailer export business and see if there's an opportunity to help him on the marketing or something like that, right? I need to have a specific business purpose for that stuff. And most of that stuff doesn't happen. So we built an app that kind of just is really easy to use that forces compliance or make sure that you have the, com- the compliant pieces. So when you track a trip, when we track a trip for you automatically, it'll look at your calendar and see if you already have something on your calendar. If it has something on the calendar, it'll pull that in as information as the purpose. If it doesn't, it'll prompt you and say, hey, you know, you're classifying this as business. What was the reason for this, this trip? So you can document it, so you can stay 100% uh, out of trouble with the IRS. Uh, same thing with pictures, like or with receipts and, and stuff. So um, you need receipts for most expenses, almost all of them. There are a couple of ex- exceptions, but an IRS agent, if they audit you, can ask, say, see the receipts as proof. Because here's the thing, like if, if think about if you're an IRS agent, and let's say you go to buy your office supplies at Walmart, right? Let's say you buy like a computer and a bunch of stuff. You have a, a you know, spend $2,000 at Walmart or the IRS comes in and says, well, I want to see what you, what you bought at Walmart. I want to make sure that you are not buying your family's groceries or your swimming pool supplies or whatever. They want to make sure that your expenses are legitimately for the business. And so one of the things we do at TaxBot is you can snap pictures of the receipts. Um, it'll then reconcile with your bank or your credit card statement and match the two up um, so that you have the receipts matched up with your bank statement so that if you ever are audited, you can quickly uh, pull those receipts. And at the end of the year, we just give it all to you in, a, in a, something we call an audit safe report, which has all your mileage log totally buttoned up. It has your receipts totally buttoned up with matched to your, your bank statements. And you just can rest easy at night. That, that you, don't, you don't have to keep big boxes in your basement for your wife to get mad at. And you can just rest easy knowing that if you are audited, you're, the auditor is going to likely spend 20 minutes looking at your stuff and walk away. I mean, it's, uh, hey, Jake. So that's kind of what we started. Yeah. Yeah. We have story after story of people who are using the tax bot app, get audited by the IRS. And then the, they say that the IRS auditor comes in, looks at their, their audit safe report that we give them, flips through it, sees all the receipts, the pictures of the receipts, everything's buttoned up and they spend 20 minutes spot checking something and they leave because they know they're not going to get anything out of you because look, you're following the rules. Uh, IRS agents, you know, they're, they're out there looking for people who are breaking the rules and that don't have the documentation because they're easy targets. They're easy to get money out of. And so if you're buttoned up and you have good documentation, it's really kind of like audit insurance because the, they're not really looking to nickel and dime people. They just want to make sure you're, you're following the rules and you're documenting your expenses really well. Right. And so for the, the side business or the, the small entrepreneur, this is something that is, like you said, can help them sleep at night, not have to worry about, I don't know how many people are out there sitting worried about an audit, but some of them should be probably. Yeah. And if you have it put together, you have everything put together through using your TaxBot app, you don't have anything to worry about. Like you said, it could be just a 20 minute hassle. I think of an audit and I go, oh, this is going to be days and weeks of my time. But if you can get it done in 20 minutes, that's awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah. And obviously there's no guarantees, but that's that we have history we have stories of that because most people, when they, when they get audited, they think, okay, well, I'll print out my QuickBooks file and I'll give it to them or I'll print out my profit and loss. And the, the auditor will look at it and say, great, I have this information because you filed your taxes. I want to see the backup data. I want to see the receipts that back this up. I want to see, you know, the mileage log. And that's where people usually get nailed. And then it takes them weeks and weeks and months to pull that information together. And it's just, I mean, if you talk to somebody who's been through an audit, you, the, you'll just see the, their face turn white and their, you know, <laughs> they'll start sweating again. And, and if you, my, my partner always says, um, if you take, if you, if you take the two words, the IRS and you put them together, it says theirs. And that's what uh, they're there to try to, 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 to make sure is that they get theirs. <laughs> right, right. So tell me a little bit about what are the different options that you can get from TaxBot? Yeah. So one of the things, so the app is like kind of the, the necessary thing, right? You need to start tracking your expenses. You need to do that. But then we, once somebody has a good tracking in place, then we can really help them save more money on taxes. There are so many ways. I, we, we did uh, actually right here, where I'm at the, this little uh, office building right here, we did uh, something about uh, two years ago, I guess. I invited seven strangers to bring their tax returns, business owners, bring their tax returns into our office. In less than 10 minutes with each one of them, we found them at least $10,000 of new tax deductions that they've been missing out on in 10 minutes. Okay, so $10,000 in, in 10 minutes. And these were tax returns prepared by a CPA or using like TurboTax type software. And the reason is because people just don't understand how the, the system is put together, right? Accountants are, this is kind of a long lead in, but I'll get there. Um, accountants are really given kind of a hard job, if you think about it. Like the average accountant does two to 300 tax returns in a given season. So in about eight weeks, they got to do two to 300 tax returns. They're working like 16 hour days. They don't see their family very much during that time. And they don't have time to sit down with each client and really, really go through and teach you about all the things you could have qualified for had you known about them. One of the things that we do, we have a program called the Midas program, the Midas initiative. And what we do is each month we take, do a financial workshop. Um, it's an upgraded program, but each month we do a financial workshop. So, so one month we'll do like vehicle deductions and we will teach you all of the ways that you can use the system legally, ethically, and morally, but to turbocharge your tax deductions in regards to your vehicle deduction. Then we'll do a group Q and A on that on that topic, and then we'll even and then we'll give you a 15 minute consultation with a tax preparer to answer any questions that didn't get answered during the, the seminar. And then the next month we'll do it again with another tax deduction. And the idea is around this is that we can expose you to so many ideas to save you tens of thousands of dollars on your taxes every year. And that makes a big difference. If you're just starting out, you know, imagine what would you would do with an extra $10,000 at the end of the year, right? If right. you're just starting your business. And that's like not that hard to do. If you get in and learn about the tax deductions that are possible, you know, redirecting expenses, your home office, how to maximize your home office, how to maximize your vehicle deduction. Not, not very hard things, but things that you don't really hear about and the, that accountants typically don't have time to train their clients on. Accountants are amazing wealth of knowledge. You should always meet with your accountant. If you can do it, the best advice I can give you is take your accountant to lunch in the off season and pick their brain because the, during the busy season, they just, they don't have time to help you in the way that you need to be helped right. as far as learning about new stuff. Right. Anyway, that's one program that we do that, that's, that's really fun to do because 
I love seeing the light bulb go on for people when, you know, they come to one of these, these online workshops for an hour. By the time they're done, they figure they found out that they're going to save $10,000 next year just on one idea. That is like the coolest thing where people, I mean, it's life-changing. For most people, $10,000 is the difference between feeling the pain and not feeling the pain at the end of the year. Right. Absolutely. You go to them and say, hey, what you want to hear the good news or the bad news? Bad <laughs> news is you could have saved 10000 last year. Good news <laughs> is you can save it next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it really is kind of a messed up system. I mean, there's a, there's a tax deduction for self-employed people called the uh, health reimbursement arrangement. It's something that's been in the tax code since 1955. And basically, if you set it up right, allows you to write off all your medical expenses, everything that comes out of your pocket. You already get to kind of write off your insurance, but it makes your insurance write off better. And then everything else, like the deductible, the paying for, you know, all that stuff that you normally can't write off, it makes it a business deduction. And it's a really, really powerful thing. I think it saved me close to like $35,000 over the last three or four years Hmm. in taxes because we had some pretty big medical bills and stuff. I went to my accountant after Sandy taught me this and I said, well, why haven't you, why didn't you bring this up? And he's like, well, I, I can set it up. I just didn't know you didn't want to. I didn't, I didn't know you wanted to do this. And I was like, why wouldn't why, you? <laughs> why wouldn't I want to do this? Why would you assume that this is something that like I, A, I knew about and why would you assume that I didn't want to do it? And it's just, I think it's just part of the mentality of, of how the system has been set up. Accountants are work their tails off and they are wealth, a wealth of knowledge. Um, you should definitely use them, but you just need to know how to use them, right? right. Like bring ideas to them and let them execute them. Right. Well, let me tell you one of the the drawbacks of your your app. Yeah. And, and I know you know it because you have a product coming. Well, it was supposed to be out, but it is coming out. If I go onto my dashboard, I think I have 1,500 trips that I haven't classified yet. Yep. Because after the trip was over, I didn't immediately do it. And so I kind of got behind and then I got more behind and then I got more behind. <laughs> you have a way to classify those by just voice control that's coming soon. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, I'm so excited about this. Okay, so we we went and we analyzed all of our current users' data, how they were using the app, and then we went and looked at everybody else in the industry. We found the that everybody who was tracking their mileage using an app had a, pretty much the same problem. And the problem is, like for example, TaxBot will automatically track your trips. You don't have to remember to do it. You get in the car, you start driving. It can sense that you're driving. It turns on the GPS, tracks the trip for you. You can come back later and then classify that and say, oh yeah, these are my business ones and these are my personal trips. It's great. And and it works really, really good. But the problem is like human behavior, right? By the time you get done with your trip and we're tracking it and you get out of your car and start walking to your appointment or into your building or your home or whatever, um, the trip stops when you start walking or after you haven't moved for five minutes, okay? By that time, you got your hands full, you're walking, your mind's already on something else. So we'll throw a notification and everybody else in the industry throws a notification, but nobody does anything with it because it just gets buried because you're already on to the next thing. And so we found that the average person using any mileage tracking app, ours included, had several hundred trips they still needed to go back and classify. If you let that go too long, like 1,500, <laughs> Bart, then going back and looking at those you get back more than two weeks and you're like, I have no idea where I was going and you can't remember the trip. So we, we went out and say, let's solve this problem. And we came up with this, this concept. We, we had about 10 different ideas that we fleshed out. We settled on this one. It's, we call it TaxBot Voice. It looks like 
a little bit like a garage door opener, right? And it goes on your dashboard. It's got two buttons, business and personal. And it works with your app, with TaxBot through Bluetooth. So when you start driving, you're driving down the road, TaxBot starts tracking, your little uh, TaxBot voice device will beep at you really quickly and, say, and let you know that you're, there's a trip that's being tracked. The key here is we let you pre-classify the trip while you're driving, while you're still hostage in your own car, you can reach up and press the business or the personal button to, to pre-classify it. So you don't have to worry about it. Now, if you press business, it starts a microphone and you can, a recording and you can just dictate it. So you can just say, press the button and say, uh, going to meet with Bart to talk about uh, his, uh, his trailer business. It will record that audio, send it over back to the phone, transcribe it and save it for you. So you don't have any administrative work to do with your trips anymore. It is so fun. I've been, I've been using the prototype for about six or seven months now. I can tell you like it is life-changing to not have to classify any trips. And if it's personal, you just press personal and it automatically pre-classifies it as personal. I am so excited I, to get this out to people. Um, and it is coming. We're, we've had some issues with the coronavirus and everything and supply chain issues and stuff, but it's coming really, really soon. It is going to change, change the game, in my opinion, on how we track mileage. Well, while you were talking there, I did the math on what I have to do. <laughs> and at, a, at one minute per classification, I'm not sure that it'll take a minute, probably less than that. Yeah. It's 25 hours that I have of work <laughs> to do to get my trips classified. And it's probably half that, but still that's 12 and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> so if I had that voice, it would be make things so much more simple. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's so fun. I mean, I, I'm still excited about it and I'm still, and I, I've had it for six months. Right. So, right. but uh, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that, that people don't think through. And we tried to solve this through software, like just on the phone. And there's just some requirements that, that you can't, you know, Apple locks the phone down in certain ways and Google locks the phone down in certain ways. We ended up going with this, this device route, which is the way that we can do this the best and the most efficiently. And uh, man, it's going to awesome. If you're, and we'll put some, maybe some links to in the show notes. So if people yeah. are interested in, in doing this, we'll put some links there so they can look at that, but it's coming soon and uh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I'll put links in the show notes for TaxBot, for Midas and for the, the voice remote controller as well. Yeah. Okay. So I have a couple great. of questions for you that I normally yeah. ask my people. Bring it. So the first one is you can't hit it out of the park all the time. You, you yourself said you had a business that you were involved in that went down after a few months. We all have these failures if we want to call it that. What is your biggest failure that's at top of mind where you learned the most and what did you learn? Ooh, that's a good question. The one that comes to mind the first is so I, I have a company that, or I, I guess I still own part of the company. It's not really operating. Uh, the website's still up, but you can't buy any product called the Jacket Racket. It's basically if you've ever been wakeboarding, you know that like there's wakeboard racks on the side of a wakeboard boat to hold the boards when you're not using them. So I built one that held the life, your wet life jackets outside the boat so they could dry really quickly. They'd be out exposed to the water and you could get rid of those piles of wet life jackets in your boat. We started the company. We invested a bunch of inventory. This was you know, eight or nine years ago. We got it here. First of all, we had an inventory, like the product didn't come. We had some pro errors in the manufacturing. So it, it wasn't perfect. There was some, some blemishes and stuff on the, on the stuff and we couldn't sell. We kind of, I think, dove into the business too fast. And then we didn't really have a plan for 
how the market might change. So we, we did it. We, we eventually sold out of our inventory. We figured out how to get rid of it at least. So we weren't hurt too bad financially. The lesson I learned is you might not get it right the first time, but if you, but you should at least plan for a contingency. Take your time to think through that a little bit. And had we done that, I think we would have had some ideas and, and maybe not even started the business because we, we, we didn't have the time to run it. But I've had, to, I've had two or three or four products or businesses that have that I thought were going to be just monstrous successes and they kind of end up just being duds. Some of them, but others of them have really, really skyrocketed and done really, really well. And so it makes up for the failure. And I think the the biggest thing I learned is like not to take the the failure personally. If if you have something that doesn't work, don't take it personally. A lot of people I know will try something, it doesn't work, and they think, well I guess I'm not I'm not, I guess I'm not cut out to be an entrepreneur. Or I guess yeah. I'm not cut out. Obviously, minimize your risk. There's, one, there's something I heard. They did a study on entrepreneurs. And everybody thinks of entrepreneurs as risk takers. But when they ran risk profiles for entrepreneurs, they found that the successful risk entrepreneurs or the successful entrepreneurs were ones that took extremely calculated risks. They worked through those risks and they had contingency plans and they, they thought through the risk and tried to mitigate the risk as much as possible. So it wasn't that they're just willy nilly like, hey, I'm just going to throw everything I got, my mortgage, my house and go into this business. They said, they thought through and said, how can I get into this business, create a minimum viable product with the least amount of money, the least amount of risk and try it out. Yes, it's a risk, but I'm going to mitigate that risk and make, take out as much of the risk as I possibly can. So they're actually kind of unique people in that they take risks, but they're ultra cautious and make sure that they're ultra calculated. So I think the lesson I learned, um, I read that after this moment, after I had gone through this process, that really helped me separate myself. Even just like I have another e-commerce business that I'm a part of and you know, we, we release new products. We get it right 50% of the time and 50% of the time, you know, the, the market doesn't respond. Don't take it personal. You're trying. Oh, I'm in, I'm in trouble with the risk taking thing, I think. <laughs> I once I once jumped off a bungee tower in Japan just hanging on to the cord with my hands. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if I thought that, things all the way through on that one, but uh, and I, I use that that would that my my heart is racing just thinking about that. That would <laughs> And my dad probably rolls in his grave all the time. I tell every time I tell that story, thinking, "Man, I thought I raised someone smarter than that." <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that. That is great. how big of a drop was that? So it was uh, about eight stories up, <laughs> and the idea. So at the at the base of the tower was a stunt person airbag. You know, a stuntman airbag. Yeah, yeah. And in theory, one could jump from the top of the tower without a cord and hit the airbag and be okay. Okay. I wanted to test that theory, but I didn't have the guts to jump from the top. And so I thought, well, I can just hook a cord to me, jump, wait for the bouncing to stop. Then I just have to unhook myself and I'll fall to the bag. And I'm falling from, you know, three quarters of the way up instead of all the way up. And that was in my head doable, but I couldn't unhook myself after the jump. And so I made these two handles at the end of the cord and thought, well, I can just hang on. When the bouncing stops, all I got to do is let go. 
and I'll fall and hit the mat. Well, I, I did do that, but I didn't, I wasn't a hundred percent sure I could hang on. <laughs> I thought I could, I was pretty sure that I could, but I wasn't positive. Well, at least you took a calculated risk though. Cause you made it sure was, that the that's mat was right. There. It was calculated. Yeah. You knew that there was like a really good chance that, that uh, you wouldn't die. And uh, you made sure of that. Right. So it's, I think that qualifies as a calculated risk. That's a probably a good analogy for it. And so here is the, here's the thing with that story. I use that in my keynotes for two different reasons. One is entrepreneurs need to take risks. They need to be willing to, to take risk and, and jump out there. And my other, in the other way I use it is when you're making decisions, realize that the decisions you make affect more than just you. Because if I hadn't been able to hang on, you know, I could have been dead. I could have been paralyzed and a burden on my family. And so I use that same story in two different keynote speeches that I do. That's awesome. You got a calculated risk keynote. Now you got to write. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, one more question before we go. Yeah. Uh, well, actually a couple more. Yeah. Uh, books. Do you read books? Oh man. Like, like they're going out of style. Uh, what is, what is your main book that you think has affected you the most in your life? Oh man. It's hard. To, I know it's hard to narrow them down to one. Yeah. Um, let me give you one that I think is going to be one of those books five years from now where I say is the best, one of the most important. I've, I read it last year and I've been implementing it in my life. There's a, there's a book out there. I actually made my whole team read it and half of them liked it and half of them thought it was life-changing or sorry, half of them didn't like it and half of them thought it was life-changing. Um, a book called Deep Work um, by Cal Newport. But essentially the, the thesis of it is, uh, high performance athletes or performers or whatever, the most that they can be at their peak performance or in their, that they can perform at a high level, that ultra high level is three hours in a day. And they talk about, and then he talks about how most people, untrained people, the most that they can focus on like a, a really important task and be totally focused is for an hour a day. Mm -hmm. And then we get sucked into messages and we get tired. So we do like text messaging or check Facebook or do some busy work or respond to emails. So we kind of default to this administrative task person for most of our day by default. But if you really want to make change or if you really want to like build that business or have success or make sales or whatever it is that is that your, your big goal, it talks about ways and strategies to get in a state of flow and like to minimize distractions. So he, he goes a little bit out there with like putting an autoresponder on his email when he's writing a book that says, Hey, it's your job to, to, to be interesting enough in your email to get me to respond. Most emails I don't respond to <laughs> like, I mean, he's a little excessive, but, um, but it did, it did help me. Like, so I, I'm working probably 20% less in my business now making more money, but I'm still working 20% less and having more time for things that matter in my life, more time for family. So from a, from a balance and, I was always worried about balance, like giving up if I don't work enough, the business won't succeed. And it really helped me be more productive with the time that I do have. That's one that, that has really, really impacted my life in the last 12 months. I really think that's going to be one that I point to in the future that, that I say that was one of the top three of my career. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for your time today. And in closing, let's say we have an entrepreneur or a, a, 
a person who is on the fence to starting their side hustle to expanding their their work. Yeah. But they can't quite pull the trigger or or they, you know they just they're they're just hesitant right now. I mean, right now with the coronavirus and everything, we got a lot of people that are out of work. Some of yeah. them probably have some great ideas. Yeah. Some great possibilities. What would you be your best advice to them to get started? So I think it's kind of two, two things. I think number one, do go through a calculated risk exercise and see how you can mitigate the risk. There's a lot of like really thing. If you really start brainstorming on that idea, you can find ways of doing stuff um, and find ways of doing it cheaper or faster or without as much risk. Okay. Um, the other thing too, is like, if it's a financial thing, depending on what the business is, if you're thinking about like an information business or something that doesn't actually have like inventory or a large capital investment, it's a little bit easier, but it still has, they're still hesitant, right? There's still some investment, but remember this, if you start a business, you can set up certain things correctly. It's pretty easy to find you $10,000 of additional tax savings, even if you don't make any money your first year. In a bit as a business, if you go from from employee to employee that owns a side hustle and you do it right, you should pay a lot less in taxes. And so the way I look at that is, okay, well I just freed up ten thousand dollars or eight thousand dollars or fifteen thousand dollars in in net net money to me on expenses that I'm already paying for: my car expenses, my home office, my mortgage, those types of things, my medical expenses. And if I can do that, that's kind of like a little bit of an injection of capital. Right. Right. And at least that's how I'd, I'd like to think about it. I kind of took it that that's mitigating a risk, right? Well, if I start this business and it fails, but I still can find $10,000 of tax deductions while I'm doing this. And I'm, you know, I basically have $10,000 of money as if it was in savings to play with this. Now, obviously that money comes in the form of tax savings and not cash up front. So you still got to figure that out. But I think be creative. Try to find ways, even if it's just mentally, to mitigate the risk. And then once you feel like you've mitigated your risk and brought the risk down, then jump. But don't jump before you have that conversation with yourself and really dive deep. And you'll, you'll find ways. If, there's a theory called creativity within constraints. You're more creative when you give yourself constraints. And like, so if you're trying to figure out how to mitigate the risk on this one joint or this one venture, just sit down with a brainstorming and say, how would I, how could I mitigate the risk? How could I lower the risk on this investment? Maybe it's bringing in a partner. Maybe it's taking out a home equity loan for $10,000 that, you know, is only going to cost you, you know, 50 bucks a month for if, if, even if you fail, it's only going to cost you 50 bucks a month to recover over the course of 10, 15 years or something. Right. right. And then, and break it down into the, the most minute details. Whereas like, you know, going out and spending $10,000 of my savings feels risky, but maybe getting a $10,000 home equity loan that it's costing me 50 bucks a month to pay back over 10 years. Like maybe that gives me the confidence to still have my emergency fund of $10,000 and still make that risk without a lot of big, uh, crazy stuff going on in my life. Right. Thanks Jake for being here with us and spending time with us today. I appreciate you taking the time. And I think there was lots of great information shared for my audience today. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, hopefully we can make their lives less taxing. Less taxing. That's awesome. All right, and everybody, until next time, go monetize it. Thanks for listening to the Monetize Your Mindset podcast. Podcast. To identify your ideal side hustle, 
Go to YourIdealSideHustle.com. Here, take a deep dive into what you like to do, what you need to do, what you're already doing, and then ask, how can I monetize it? Come on back next week for more on how to create financial security so you can deal with whatever happens when whatever happens, happens. Because it will happen. 